Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 79. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week we're talking with our friend and Wild and Free contributor, Rachel Alsbury, about how to organize your homeschool environment. My daughters and I have a lot of negotiations about, hey, is this really a useful thing? Do you really need this? And they're used to that process now of kind of calling through and you know, I take the opportunity to, to teach them that when our environment's too full of stuff, we can't sit down and focus on something to do. So let's just make sure that we're intentional about our environment and what we're keeping so that we can actually enjoy the things we have instead of feeling totally overwhelmed by the giant mess that's in our bedroom. Plus, we'll share about our new content bundle for the month of April called Heal. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. Nearly every single day, I hear from homeschool mothers who are ready to throw in the towel. They don't blame their children for their circumstances, but rather their own frailties. Oh, how I know. I often feel like there should be yellow caution tape cordoning off our house, forewarning neighbors, friends, and even UPS drivers of anything they might see, hear, or experience as they approach the door. It seems as if the only time anyone stops by is when my kids are bickering, the laundry is piled high on the sofa, absolutely no one is studiously at work, and I'm still in my pajamas at noon. It doesn't take much to feel unworthy of the hearts we are holding. The great challenge of homeschooling is that we cannot run from our humanity. But I don't believe we need to give up on our dream over one or even a series of failures. We can be both broken and becoming. This is the great paradox of parenthood, but it is also the beautiful scandal of grace. We can receive what we don't deserve, and we can yet give what we didn't receive. I believe we can heal. I believe we can become whole again. We heal our homeschools not by spackling the cracks or covering over our failures, but by learning from our mistakes and growing through the challenges of being a family. Eventually, we'll come to see, as Leonard Cohen crooned, that those cracks, all those imperfections, are how the light gets in. It's never too late to apologize, admit to mistakes, or acknowledge unhealthy behaviors. It's never too late to say the things we didn't hear but needed all the same. We can show our children what it looks like to heal and become whole. New mercies rise with each morning sun, and grace falls like rain, quenching our souls like the sun-dried earth. A hug can heal hurts, a kind word can change hearts, and laughter can soothe tension. We may not be entirely pieced together. We may have wounds that run deep in our souls, but we can at least give our children parents who are healing, redeeming what's been broken, and becoming whole. What a noble endeavor. What a worthy calling. Let's commit to let the light in through the cracks. Let's remind one another that we are not alone. Let's begin to heal the parts of us that are keeping us from growing and becoming whole. We'll hear from Rachel Alsbury in just a moment. 
But first, I wanted to tell you about our new content bundle for the month of April called Heal. No doubt you've heard me talk about the wild and free content bundles before. But let me share why these monthly resources are the heart and soul of this beautiful homeschool community. There are plenty of conventions and curriculum fairs out there that tell us what to do each day. But very few resources offer the encouragement, insight, wisdom, and community to help us thrive in our day-to-day homeschooling. The Wild and Free Content Bundles are designed to encourage us in the midst of life's difficulties. They inspire us with handcrafts, nature journaling, hands-on activities, and fun projects. But they also connect us to each other as we share our stories, experiences, and homegrown wisdom. The new Heal Bundle is a great place to start because it's packed with articles, tutorials, and practical resources to not only help us find joy and wonder, but to mend the hurts within our own homes and foster a safe place for learning. If you've never looked into the Wild and Free Bundles, they're worth checking out. And right now, we have a special offer. This week, when you subscribe to the content bundles, you'll not only get access to the new Heal Bundle, but also last month's Commonplace Bundle. Plus, we'll send you a welcome kit in the mail with your first copy of the Wild and Free print magazine. We may not all homeschool the same, but we have each other, and we're in this together. To sign up or even get a free sample bundle, visit bewildandfree.org slash bundles. Rachel Alsbury loves reading nonfiction, organizing things, and growing rosemary. She lives in Kansas City with her software developer husband and their four children. Together, they're finding joy and freedom in this season of learning at home. You can find her on Instagram at rachel.alsbury. And she recently sat down with Jennifer Pepito to talk about how to organize your homeschool environment. Let's listen in. Thanks for joining me today, Rachel. Hey, Jennifer. It's so good to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you, Rachel. You have such an inspirational Instagram feed. And I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about the uh, like constant question of how do we organize all the homeschool staff? How do we manage like homeschooling adds this whole new layer of home management? Because instead of just managing, you know, a backpack and your homework, your kids' homework, you're managing all of the books, the amazing books, the games, the learning toys, there's the the nature items, the collections. There's so much more that we're trying to manage. You know, schools have whole closets and rooms, and most of us are doing this at the dining room table. How do you manage it all? Oh, I love that question. And I remember when I first got the idea that I might need to homeschool, uh, that was one of the most intimidating aspects for me because I like my environment to be peaceful and calm, and I'm a naturally very organized person. And so the thought that my house could be in disarray. Or maybe I was even envisioning 
um, my home turning into more of like traditional classroom, which maybe having to have like laminated posters or, you know, cubbies or something. And so that intimidated me a lot. But I think over the years, I've kind of been able to identify a little bit of a system that works out for our family. So tell us a little bit about the system. Well, so, you know, organizing at its core, it's the purpose really is to serve you to be able to find the items that you need quickly and easily and put them away easily. So um, I kind of organize in like what I call tiers of accessibility. Um, This is just a little thing I made up, but um, so like the first tier is kind of like the free for all. So it would be the things that we use every day or the kind of things I don't mind my toddler getting into and dragging out. So that would be like the imaginative play toys and the books and, you know, little things like that, that I don't mind kids getting out. So those things are all kind of in an accessible place, like on the lower shelves or the bottom drawers or just places where the little ones can get in and out of it. Those are things I don't want to have to necessarily go get for them, you know, every day. So that's like my first tier. And then my second tier would be like items that I kind of, that either the older kids can get down themselves or things that I might want people to ask permission to use. So like we have an art tray that we have up on like a little bit of a higher shelf. So my toddler can't get into it because we don't want him getting into the markers. Um, And then like our school workbooks, they're kind of put away up a little bit because I don't need those getting dragged out. Um, our paper that we use. Um, my printer is kind of accessible, but up on like a little bit of a higher shelf because I'm going to use it all the time. And then the third tier is like that hidden storage. So the project materials and the extra school supplies that we might need, or maybe there's something like the marble track, which is a million pieces and marbles that go everywhere. And so I have in my basement for that two like just those Home Depot plastic shelves with bins and labels on them where I store all that kind of thing. So it's easy to get out, but it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and people aren't going to be dragging that stuff out all the time. So that's kind of my little system that I use um, for the accessibility of our stuff. I love that. That's so clever to kind of have those layers. I know one of my favorite lists was by the Blue Dorns, and they talked about having art supplies accessible for your children and not necessarily doing a lot of formal art, but just giving them a chance to experiment. So I think it's so important that you have these, like you say, layers or tiers of accessibility where there are things that they can freely play with. And Montessori talked a lot about the preparation, like teaching children how to put something away after they played with it. Do you have any process like that where you teach kids where things go and how to put it away? Yes. And actually one of my favorite kind of practical tools for that is baskets. Um, That's like one of my favorite tips is baskets are amazing because they look pretty, but they hide like all the miniature messes of like the blocks or toys you want to put in there. So we have a lot of baskets so kids can get in and out of that and clean that up easily. And then we also have um, just a toy cabinet that I got from Ikea where you slide the bins in and out. And those are have been great too because they know how to put the toys in the different bins and slide them back in. Um, and then we have 
like the books, like the board books and the picture books are also like on a bottom cabinet where the kids can open the cabinet and get the books in and out. Yeah, that's so good. I think it's important to have smaller categories because, you know, a child is not going to be able to, they might be able to dump out a whole toy box, but they're not going to be able to pick it all up without a fuss. And so having, you know, one small basket of miniature cars or another basket of play food so that you play with one basket, you put that one away, then you get out the next one. Yes. It's a great sorting activity too. As they get a little bit older, it's like, all right, here's our messy playroom and here's how we tackle a mess. We sort this into the categories that they go into and it's like, oh, okay, well first let's pick up the blocks. And then that also kind of gives them a little bit of a system for when they see a big mess, they go, okay, here's how we tackle that. Let's sort this stuff out. Yeah. So it's, it's funny because some of these things are so simple and they're just like little things that we do with preschoolers, but they have a lot to do with the brain development necessary for maybe tackling a really difficult math problem or tackling a science experiment. Yes, that's so true. I love that idea. And that's amazing. We have all the tools we need for those kind of things right in our home with how we live. And so we can, that kind of I find that like our school supplies and our school and the things we do for learning is actually really woven into the fabric of how we live every day. And that kind of has a lot to do with how we organize um, our home. Yes, 100%. One of the things that we kind of have to struggle with is what do we keep and what do we get rid of? You know, in our family, we've tried really hard to just keep a few categories of toys, you know, calico critters, Legos, Duplos, toy trains. And then, you know, if if a toy came in that wasn't in one of those categories, it didn't necessarily stay very long. And that helped us keep things to some degree minimalistic so that we could manage it all. How do you you know, manage what stays and what goes? Ooh, that is a good question. Well, proactively, when we do gifts, um, somebody gave me this idea a long time ago, and it's really simple, but it's always stuck with me, is when we buy Christmas gifts, buy things that you can add to your collections, or that could start a new collection that you can add to. So proactively, when we're making a Christmas list of things to buy, or if other family members are asking us to buy, we'll say, hey, could you add to their set of magnetiles with these little cars or something like that? But yeah, when it comes to deciding what stays and goes, I like to stick with our collections that are tried and true. They have to be things that we use really often, or maybe something that's really special. And then after that, um, that gets hard because as our kids get older, they start to have opinions about what stays and what goes too. And so we have a lot of that. um, My daughters and I have a lot of negotiations about, hey, is this really a useful thing? Do you really need this? And they're used to that process now of kind of calling through. And, you know, I take the opportunity to, to teach them that when our environment's too full of stuff, we can't sit down and focus on something to do. So let's just make sure that we're intentional about our environment and what we're keeping so that we can actually enjoy the things we have instead of feeling totally overwhelmed by the giant mess that's in our bedroom. Yeah, that's so good. And really classic toys are so much better for the environment. Like the trains that we have, we've had for 20 years. You know, some of them were toys that were bought for my oldest son, who's 23 now. Those toys last forever. They don't break easy. And they're they're delightful. I mean, they'll be delightful to my grandchildren someday. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have wooden blocks and Duplos are the two most played with toys in our house. And every single morning, my son comes down with my daughter 
and they come park themselves in front of the toy cabinet and they get out the Duplos and they're open-ended so they could make anything all day or, you know, for weeks on end, they built a garage to put the cars in. And I know it sounds, it's not as exciting for the gift givers and the grandparents to add to the set of Duplos, but it will get played with every day. And really, I mean, there, there's awesome little like wooden block sets and Duplo sets. So I'm, I'm sure the grandparents have loads of fun buying the toy they know the kids will enjoy. They do. Yeah. Now that they, when they see how the kids play with that stuff, I think it, it does inspire them. We'll be back with Rachel and Jen in just a moment, but I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about some exciting things happening at the Wild and Free Farm Village this summer. After a long winter, we're eager to welcome warm weather and good friends back to the Farm Village for a season of gatherings. We miss our Farm Village family. The Farm Village is a place where children can explore the streams, forests, and mountainsides until they become a second home. A place where teens can build friendships with each other and make unforgettable memories. And a place where mothers and fathers can have regular reunions with lifelong friends. So many memories are waiting to happen around the bonfire. Now all we need is you. There are several ways you can experience the Farm Village this summer. First, we've got several family camping weekends happening this year such as the Midsummer Family Festival, the Wilderness Weekend for Fathers and Sons, and Fiction in the Forest. Or for a weekend getaway with friends or your wild and free group, you can book an overnight stay in our quaint but spacious forest cabin that sleeps up to 10 people. Our group getaway package comes with all sorts of amenities like zip lining, curated bonfires, treats in the fire tower, and so much more. Whether you come for a family festival or a personal retreat this summer, one thing is for certain, you belong here. To learn more, go to bewildandfree.org slash upcoming. Now back to Rachel and Jennifer Pepito. So let's talk about games for a minute because in the winter, it's such a great time to play games, board games, card games, but even games can get overwhelming. How do you decide which ones are the keepers? It kind of the same principle for me kind of applies to the toys. Like what are the open-ended things that we can really play with a lot? The cards, playing cards are huge right now. Actually, my husband and my daughters are on a streak right now where they've been playing cards every night. He taught them how to play a speed game called Nerds. And they're like addicted to playing it every night. So we definitely keep like the playing cards, the go fish, those things are easy to store too. It's the the ones with like the plastic parts where they get broken. And then like once that thing is broken, like the whole game doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so then it becomes, you know what, we're not going to be able to keep this game. So yeah, we really try to buy those types of things with, you know, we have like a Yahtzee game, a Scrabble, those get played with a lot. Um, the checkers get played with, but yeah, it's those tried and true older games the open-ended card games, that's really what we like to keep around. How fun. Yeah, we. I just did a couple. I got rid of one puzzle and the sequence game, which I think is fun, but nobody's played with it for a few years. So I thought, well, we'll make room for some new games. This year, there's a game that we bought maybe at a thrift store called River Roads and Rails. And it's kind of um, 
I don't know, I guess it's almost like dominoes, but it's got great pictures of roads and rivers and rails and you have to match them up. So we've played that and we've played a little bit of cribbage, which is happy for my husband to be able to teach his kids a little more. I don't think it's more complicated, but it's definitely a little slower than nerds. So I'm excited about kind of these cold days where it's dark outside. You can't be outside as much in the evening and it's a great time to play games. Okay, I think that's a really good point that you make that the games, the board games are kind of a seasonal thing. And I guess maybe that's why they live in my basement because we're like, we only get them out really at a certain time of year, a lot around the holidays. And like you said, in the winter evenings when it's too dark to play outside, then we'll end up getting those out. But yeah, dominoes is another one that the kids like to play that we have. Yeah, and I love it because some of these ones that we're mentioning are actually super classic games. They've been around for a long time. They're not expensive to buy at Target or whatever and would be great, like even family grandparent gifts. Yes. And oh, and actually, June, my six-year-old, learned her numbers and a bunch of her letters from playing. They taught her how to play war. And she actually knew a bunch of her numbers and letters and like the sequence of numbers and things like that from playing that game. And so when I went to teach her some of her math, she was like, I already know that mom from playing war. That's awesome. How (laughs) fun. I love, I love how so much of learning can just be natural and fun, you know, making a recipe together and working on reading skills and science skills and reading picture books together and working on reading and playing board games and working on math. It's so wonderful. One other area that we have to organize is all of the papers. Like our kids are making art, they're writing stories, they're making projects. What do we do with all this stuff? Oh, I love that question because I have, that has been a pain point for me um, because we are a very creative household and I really encourage drawing and creativity and making projects and That usually, you know, for a lot of years, it would end up being the project is all over the dining room table. And I would just let it live there because we had like a little bar area in our kitchen where we could eat off of. And in this house we live in now, we don't have that. So then it became, we have to figure out how to clear the table of our projects every single night. And so, you know, you don't want to throw it away, but where do you put it? So we, um, decided to establish a special holding place just for the projects. So we got one of those Ikea like metal carts that has the different tiers on it. And each girl has their own tier. And so when they're working on a project, but they're not done with it, or they're they're not sure they want to let it go yet because they might want to keep it. We just put it right there on that cart. And it's actually, I'm looking at it and it's very full right now. <laughs> so we go through it a couple, every couple of months and decide what pieces are special and what can stay because I have books where I put their art from I just slip them in little page protectors for the ones they want to keep and then what things that we can just let go so it's nice because um, a lot of times they're just they're attached to what they're working on and after it sits there for a few weeks then they feel like maybe they're more ready to let it go so yeah the established holding spot has been the answer for a lot of our papers that we have. I have kept a journal of my homeschooling from almost the very beginning. And that's been helpful too, because I am probably a little bit too much of a keeper, like having art projects that my children's that my children have done and having the papers in some sense, they are this proof of homeschooling. They're proof of 
all the all the love and care that was put into mothering and homeschooling my children. And so sometimes it can be hard for us to let go of these signs of life in a sense, but having things like photos or a binder full of the projects or a journal where we've made an entry about what we did can be slightly less space consuming ways to preserve those memories. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm a minimalist and I'm kind of ruthless about I'll, I'll be over aggressive about getting rid of stuff and then regret it. So when it comes to like the notebooking pages that we've done, the maps we drew when we did like, um, kind kingdom last year before last and stuff like that, I did want to find a way to keep. So I ended up doing binders for everybody and then just taking like the best of the best where it was something where you could see they had worked really hard on, or you could see the progress over time. So we kind of would let those things collect up. And then at the end of the year, I'll just like take the best of the best and put it all in their binder. And they love to go back and look at that because it's not like it's stuffed in a box somewhere. They can actually flip through the pages and see it. So that's been a really great tool for us for keeping papers. Yeah, I love that. And and also, I think, I don't know, I know you do quite a bit of notebooking too, but having the timeline cards where we've drawn pictures or our notebook pages where we've drawn and written about what we are learning, those become such sweet keepsakes as well, you know, as we look back on all the learning. Oh, yeah. And actually, our timeline cards, we had so many of them. And I'm like, I love these timeline cards because we really worked on our art when we drew these. And I like to make timeline cards. I enjoy coloring them. So we displayed them. And that's another thing I've learned that we could do with our school papers is to take the the ones that we're really proud of and we'll do like put a string across and then clip, you know, the pictures on with a clothespin, which is what we did mm-hmm. with our timeline cards and everybody comments on it. It's just a really fun little feature above our couch. Yeah, we do that each year too. And then I think what I'll do when we're finished with the homeschool career, cry me a river, um, <laughs> is I think it'd be fun to just make a binder because I, I've i tried to do a, like um, they call it a book of centuries where you have entries all the way through, mm-hmm. but my kids don't put enough time into those. Whereas the timeline cards, we were all contributing. We'd sit around the table and everyone would draw a picture. Even like if I had adults at home, I'd make them draw the picture. The grandparents sometimes drew a picture. And so having, you know, putting those in a binder where it's like almost a family timeline will be a really fun way to preserve the, I mean, the many things we've learned about, like, I just can't believe as we learn each year, how many layers of new ideas and new information, like this year we were reading about Cleopatra and I'm, I'm sure we've read about it in other textbooks, but it was just so fascinating to us, this whole overlap with Augustus Caesar and thinking about Augustus Caesar sending out the census when Jesus was born. So there's so many overlaps and these light bulbs go off in our children as we read. And I just love what we get to do so much. Yeah. I mean, I think the timeline is a really cool way to organize when you're doing more of a natural approach to learning, or if you're doing an interest-led approach, it is a really nice way to say like, for example, we went off on a learning tangent about Jane Austen last year. And then we could take some timeline cards and draw on those and say, oh, where does this fit inside of our timeline? So it kind of gave like a little framework to put some of our interest-led learning um, into to where we could see where it fell 
you know, in history. Yeah. And, and that's a great thing too, is, I mean, you can just use a three by five index card or four by six index card, draw a picture, write a date, and that becomes a timeline card right there. Yep. So. That's what we did. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today, Rachel, about homeschool organization. I know the wild and free community is going to be so encouraged to get organizing their own little homeschool spaces for better learning and more peaceful days. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachel. I'm always so inspired by the way you create a rich home learning environment by keeping things simple. Friends, don't forget about our new wild and free content bundle called Heal that released this month. Let me tell you, there are no perfect homeschools or put together families. We're all just doing the best we can to redeem our brokenness and make a better life for our kids. My hope is that this bundle will encourage you on your journey and inspire you to never give up. To get the Heal Bundle plus your first monthly print magazine, go to bewildandfree.org bundles. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next time for the Wild and Free Podcast.